Hello, forgiver. Today, I am discussing the third core emotion we might experience in the forgiveness process, shame. In recent history, shame researcher Brene Brown has made headlines around the world as she exposed this gnarly emotion and its effect on the human psyche and relationships. My hope is not to focus so much on the research, but speak directly to shame with regard to the forgiveness of ourselves and how we can begin to develop the courage and vulnerability to address our shame. So if you're a note taker, grab your pen and your notebook and your favorite beverage, and I will see you on the other side of the intro. Hello, forgiver. Welcome to the Forgiveness is for You podcast. I'm Dr. Karen Silva, Forgiveness Guide and Catholic Mindset Coach. I've spent 30 years in therapy for sexual, physical, emotional, and racial trauma, but therapy could only take me so far. I believe that there's freedom in forgiveness, but we cannot do it alone. Do you struggle forgiving yourself or others? Are you ashamed of what happened to you in the past? Do you harbor unforgiveness toward the adults who are supposed to protect you but didn't? Do you resent a whole class of people because you were discriminated against? On this podcast, we talk about all things forgiveness, what it is, what it's not, and how you can begin to forgive yourself, others, and God. Allow me to be your forgiveness guide. Let's begin. Friends, I googled definitions for shame, and in 46 seconds, Google presented me with 69,200,000 results. I think it's a fair thing to say that shame is kind of a big deal to humans. Whether you're an agnostic, atheist, Christian, Buddhist, universalist, any kind of religion, shame still resonates. As Christians, we believe that shame has its origin in the Garden of Eden after the fall of Adam and Eve. God enters the garden looking for them only to discover that they've covered themselves with fig leaves to cover their nakedness. In Genesis 3 verse 7 we read, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. In this act, Adam and Eve visibly declare that what God created as good, the naked human body, as something to be hidden and protected. Thus, shame obscures what is good, true, and beautiful in the guise of protection. Shame, in that moment, became instinctive for us as an inheritance from our first parents. This doesn't mean that we are condemned to live in it. The APA Dictionary of Psychology defines shame as, and I quote, a highly unpleasant, self-conscious emotion arising from the sense of there being something dishonorable, immodest, or indecorous in one's own conduct or circumstances. It is typically characterized by withdrawal from social intercourse, for example, by hiding or distracting the attention of another from one's shameful action, which can have a profound effect on psychological adjustment and interpersonal relationships. That is quite a mouthful. In other words, shame is a protective but destructive emotion 
that comes from our thoughts about ourselves and others. It robs us of interior freedom. It prevents us from being known, seen, and loved for who we are created to be. It can trap us in rumination, an unending reel of negative thoughts about our unworthiness. As trauma survivors, our shame comes not from the event that caused the trauma, but our thoughts about our response to the trauma. Shame's message is that we are not good to be. It dehumanizes us. It tells us that we are less than or bad for doing something, saying something, or not doing something or saying something. Shame is a roadblock to forgiveness of ourselves and others. It conflates my behavior with my being. Instead of thinking that I did something bad, I might think that I am bad. If I am the victim, I might think that it happened to me because I am bad. Internalized, shame looks a lot like the following thoughts. If they only knew the real me, I must not be good enough. That's why. They will turn their backs on me if. Or I might think I'm a disappointment. I'm no good. I'm unlovable. I am ugly. Shame is an equal opportunity giver. It's so powerful that we can believe someone else's shame belongs to us. Externalized shame turns into blame. In this 10x form of shame, the victim is blamed for the offender's behavior. For example, you might hear something like, if you didn't do fill in the blank, then I wouldn't have done fill in the blank. You're just overreacting. It's not such a big deal. Why are you making it such a big deal? Another example is when a betrayed partner will take on the shame of the betrayer by saying something like, how could I have been so stupid? The signs were there all the time, but somehow I missed them. What's wrong with me? They can often blame themselves for their partner's transgressions by saying, if I have only done X, then they wouldn't have cheated on me. For sexual abuse survivors, the thought could be, there must be something wrong with me and that's why I was the target and not my sister or my brother. Or, I must not have been lovable enough for my parents to protect and defend me. The most destructive aspect of shame is that it causes separation and isolation. From an internal family systems or IFS perspective, Shame creates a separation between the image and likeness of God within us and the parts that experience the event that caused the shame. Those parts, called exiles, act to protect us from further harm by carrying their shield of shame whenever they start feeling like they will be exposed. And yet, friends, exposure heals shame. In order for us to heal, we must develop self-trust. We must embrace ourselves as we are, broken parts and all, know our values, set healthy boundaries in our relationships, own our own decisions and actions, and be non-judgmental toward ourselves. We must develop empathy for the parts of us that suffered that moral injury. 
We must also be willing to allow safe, trusted individuals to see all of our parts that carry the shame, including ourselves. And this requires vulnerability. Dictionary.com defines vulnerability as, quote, the willingness to show emotion or to allow one's weaknesses to be seen or known, willingness to risk being emotionally hurt. The foundation for open communication consists of honesty, trust, and vulnerability, end quote. Vulnerability requires courage. According to St. Thomas Aquinas, Courage is not the absence of fear, but the ability to overcome fear and doing the right thing in spite of fear. To understand vulnerability, we can contemplate Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane right before his passion when he asks the Father to take the cup from him. But you might ask, what if I'm not there, Dr. Karen? What if my shame is so deep that I can't even think about trusting myself to be that vulnerable? I would recommend that you start by cultivating the virtue of courage. Courage can begin with giving yourself permission to be kind and loving toward yourself. It can begin with a daily examination of conscience and inviting Jesus into the places where you feel shame. What do I mean by a daily examination of conscience? At the end of each day, think about those times during the day when you had negative thoughts about yourself, when you were unkind and unloving toward yourself, when you judged yourself, and bring those times during the day to the Lord in prayer and ask Him for forgiveness for number one, not loving what he created as good. You, you were created good. And also asking him to see yourself as he sees you. It can also start with affirming yourself by understanding your unique gifts, your purpose, and how you can make a difference in the world. Vulnerability doesn't have to be taking to the world stage and telling my story. It can simply start with writing my thoughts in a journal. It can be having a conversation about my deepest shame with someone I know will not judge me, like a trusted friend, a spiritual director, or a therapist. It can be preparing myself to face Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament with prayer and fasting and taking my judgments, my condemnation of myself, to the sacrament of reconciliation. In 2 Corinthians 12, 9, St. Paul reminds us that God's power is made perfect in weakness. When we allow ourselves to be seen in our shame, Christ in us does the work of healing our parts. I'd like to end today's episode by reading a two-voice poem I received in adoration during a time of deep, unshaming work with my therapist. Here is voice one. Shame the color of dark, hiding in the shadows, absent from the ark, lives in the secret, locked up in the heart, blocks out the light, holds on tight, diminishes my being, keeps me from seeing the true and the bright, perpetually night, embracing the pain like a cold, dark rain. Voice number two. Freedom from shame. 
the color of sun, visible and bright, present in the spirit, lives in the light, radiates in the eyes, luminescence in sight, releases my plight, increases my being, opens me to dreaming of the true and the bright, perpetually light, embracing the gain of a life free from pain. Jesus came that we might have life and have it abundantly. An abundant life is not mired in shame, but is lived in joy. Until next time, much love. Please be tender with yourself. Forgiveness is serious business. May the grace of the Lord be with you as you contemplate what you learn today. If this podcast is making a difference in your life, please hit subscribe below and consider writing a review. Share the link with a friend, take a screenshot and share on your social media. Connect with me as your forgiveness guide. I will hold space for you as you work through your pain and rewrite your story. Sign up for my 5 Days to Forgiveness self-guided mini audio retreat at www.drkaren.com. Check out my website for how you can bring me to your church or small faith sharing group. And remember friends, forgiveness is for you.